You can support this podcast on patreon.com forward slash firstpawmedia. Here's to the adventure-seeking dog mushers out there. The hundreds of you who stand on the runners dreaming and thinking about the northern lights. Of course, there is something else you can do if you've got something to say. Start a podcast with First Paw Media and harness your creative side. Maybe even earn enough money. Enough money to tell yourself, hey, I'm not just a dog musher. I'm a rover. I'm a wanderer. I'm a voyager. I'm an explorer. Visit firstpaw.media. Mush on over today. Hello and welcome to today's episode of Canadian Challenge Tales. Joined by Marcel Marin from Yellowknife. How are you today, Marcel? Pretty good, Dan. Uh, how are you doing? Doing great. Really appreciate you taking the time to join me today. You know, I wanted a little intro about you. I know you've been mushing for a long time. You are a Yukon Quest finisher in 2004, I believe 14th place. And you've been at the Canadian Challenge several years as well as a few other races. I wondered if you could get me started with telling us a little about how you got into dog mushing. Uh, well, first off, I guess I was my parents. I was born in northern Quebec, and they had uh, they bred Malamute, Siberian, Samoyeds, a whole variety of uh, northern dogs. I was kind of brought up with it, and we lived on a farm, so they were my buddies. So that's how... I guess I had no choice in the matter, so <laughs> that's how it all started. And then over the years, the kennel disappeared, and then uh, the teenager <laughs> living between Yellowknife and Rankin Inlet, I decided I had the itch to get dogs again, and uh, went from there. Excellent. So when did you get yourself started into racing? Well, um, in, in Rankin Inlet, but uh, used our dogs. The dogs back then were used for dual purposes, right? Most of them were for hunting, trapping, all that. Like everybody still used dogs back in the day. And then in spring and Christmas, you raced, and it wasn't that that competitive. And I started with one or two dogs, and me and my buddy Warren Palfrey, he had one or two dogs, and we used to run our little trap line. And we actually used to park our dogs right at the school. And uh, back then, we could even uh, we'd put a, we'd sneak our twenty twos and put them in our locker. It was a different different era, I guess. And uh, dogs were tied to the flagpole outside of the school. And after school, we'd hook up our dogs, go check out our lines, and then from then on, we started. Uh, the locals would ask us to come and race, and we entered one or two Christmas races, and then it went from there. So, I mean, are you still? trapping using dogs for trap line no uh no now it's strictly uh strictly sport um when we left rankin i lived in rankin the dogs were used we had northern breed dogs so they weren't really eskimos they were just whatever we're breeding whatever we could there that could survive it's a lot it's a very harsh climate so you don't have really speed dogs over there and uh I ran a trap line, supported our family and all that. I only had five dogs, and uh, me and my wife, we trapped and raised two kids. We did it for two seasons. And that's probably our proudest moment with dogs. And it was only five dogs I used, and then we raced in the spring over there to races. Back then, it'd be like five dogs, three dogs. You know, grown men are racing three dogs 20 miles. That was, that was just common. And then the sport kind of... Uh, took off, and uh, there's no more teams like that that I know of back there now that 
but uh, caribou hunting. When we moved to Yelm, I, uh, I did a lot of caribou hunting with the dogs and stuff like that, but I didn't trap. And then uh, I decided I was going to run the quest. So our focus went to racing, and then from then on, it just stayed into racing. Yeah, so for those that are unfamiliar, Rankin Inlet is on the west coast of Hudson Bay. How far north of Churchill? A couple hundred miles, I think. Yeah, it's probably, uh, yeah, 300 miles or so. And it's uh, just to give people an idea, uh, Will Steger, when he was training for his, uh, uh, trained for the North Pole Expedition, Antarctic Expedition, they did some runs up the coast there. And it said, dogs can survive in that wind. It's nonstop wind there, right, right on the coast uh, of the Hudson Bay. And it's very harsh environment there. So, um, anyway, so it's it's a big difference, like even from Yellowknife, we're the same latitude, but it's a totally different climate. Yeah, well, I, I believe uh, Rankin Inlet's above the tree line there, so not much to stop oh, yeah. stop the wind from getting at you. Which leads us into your your uh, Yukon Quest run in uh, 2004. Can you tell us a little about the training and, and some of the preparation you did for a big race like that? Yeah, I went in there pretty green, and I thought, you know, having a hunting team and all that kind of stuff, it would uh, give me an advantage. So basically, we moved to Yellowknife, and uh, I lived a year in Yellowknife when I was a, when I was a kid, and Yellowknife seemed like best of two worlds. Uh, my wife's into two, and the South just isn't for us. But this is basically the South and the North. So you have all your convenience and the weather. You don't have the winds, the Arctic winds. You have trees here, all that, right? So anyways, we moved the whole kennel over. And I knew I was going to run the quest, and I bred the dogs in Rankin, and I had them a year there. And they were kind of a Siberian uh, mixed dog. Husky, local husky stuff. And it was their father came off William Clayton's team, which was very successful Yukon uh, Quest musher. And at, at the time, one of the local guys there bought a dog from him because he was switching to a faster dog. So anyways, long story short, I had a pretty tough team. My, my females were 70 pounds. They weren't the fastest dogs in the world, but they were pretty tough dogs. And then, um, so I came here and we had a touring business too. And then, uh, I went and ran one qualifier. You hear all the stories in the books and all that back then, you know, how tough everything was in the quest. But when I went, I went to run my qualifier, ran the Percy the Wolf. And they said it was one of the toughest races around. And actually, it is a tough race, but it was kind of a walk in the park from any day out on the sea ice hunting in Rankin. So I thought, okay, well, maybe it's not. You know, maybe it's more of a mental game than anything. The dogs did fine. Yeah, there was open water, that kind of stuff. But it's all stuff they were used to. And I figured I had a really tough breed of dogs. So when I decided between I did or honor the Yukon Quest, I figured, first of all, Yukon Quest was a lot cheaper. And it suited my mentality at the time in my kennel. There was only eight, eight resupply spots, eight checkpoints. Back then, there was 10, but they counted the start and the finish. So there was only actually eight places where you could drop dogs and all that and resupply. So that was more of my, more for me. So I didn't, I didn't bother what I did or odd and I went to the quest. And, uh, yeah, I just basically, I was one year here, ran to Percy and then, uh, took a year off financial reasons to gain a bit more money. And I train a lot though, like my runs. Uh, 
I always put 3,000 miles on that tee, and it was a small tee. And then that was it. Then I went and hit the quest the year after that. When you, you took a small team um, right out of the start line from the quest, did you not? Yeah, I had the smallest uh, the smallest number of dogs. Like I showed up at the vet check with 12 dogs. And uh, everybody else, even for the quest, which surprised me, had pretty big kennels. The youth honors had big kennels. The Alaskans, they had spare dogs. I never had spare dogs. I actually had to borrow dogs from my friend Warren Palfrey to get to the... And a couple dogs off my... My wife had a team at the time. And we kept it separate. Because I've, al- I've always ran just... When I ran the Percy, I ran it... I had my six dogs and borrowed two from my brother. I have my eight dogs. And uh, Anyways, that, that's an advantage of always running a small kennel. It doesn't discourage you when you get down to a few dogs. You know, they can do it if you're brought up with that. But, uh, yeah, I had 12 dogs off the start. I dropped two. I knew they weren't they weren't the best dogs. I knew they would only get a few hundred miles, and I ran most of the race with 10. I think I ran 800 miles with 10 dogs. Wow. It shows some of the training, obviously, as you mentioned. Is there a portion of that race or the part of the trail that really stood out to you or that you, you remember? Uh, yeah, the climbs. Um, one of the things, I wasn't used to mountains coming from Yellowknife and the sea ice, and I didn't get much mountain training in, but I just, you, you know, you just know your dogs are tough and you take it one mile. I didn't look at it as a thousand miles. I looked at it as a mile, mile per mile per mile, right? Like, I'm going to get the... I'll do a couple campouts, get to a checkpoint. And I wasn't there, I guess, well, it's a race. You're there to race. You race within your group, right? It's not always a race for first or whatever. Um, but I, in the qualifier, I ran into Percy. Everybody flew by me. I remember a lot of the Alaskan teams that were just flying by me. And I did okay. It was my first distance race, 200 miles into Percy. And I came in in the middle of the pack, 12 place, and there was 20-something teams. Um, so I didn't expect to see these guys or whatever, but my training was slow and hard, and I kind of mimicked. Uh, the reading I did was uh, Nadeau, I think Nadeau, uh, I think his name was Nadeau, whatever. Um, the French guys out of Quebec, they ran Siberian, and they ran dogs nobody wanted. They were slow, but he came in second to 98, and the quest is he just kept on going. And I said, man, that, that might be my trick there, just to keep dogs, like train dogs properly. And I found they didn't do in my book, they didn't do proper training over there. They run 30-mile runs and stuff like that. So when I went for the quest, my dogs were running. Uh, they were used to running 100-mile runs 12, 13 hours at a time. So that kind of gave me an advantage. Like, I knew I knew I can get them to checkpoints, put it that way. I kind of overtrained for it, but I guess it wasn't really overtraining. It was. Uh, it, it played out good on the second half of the race for me. Yeah, well, I mean, it certainly um, produced a, a good result. Like I said, a 14th place finish. I think the time was, uh, you know, 13 days and, you know, right uh, right close to a few others. So, and you also won the Challenge of the North Award for that race. Can you tell us a little about that? Yeah, well, you did your research. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and just I went off topic a bit there from the first question you asked. One of the things that really uh, stood out for me getting back to the mountains was Rosebud, and that that mountain's not really talked about. But we I left from Fairbanks, right? So I planned that I would go south. I figured it'd be as a rookie, you start cold and you end warm because White Horse is always pretty warm. It's not a very cold place for those of you who haven't been there. They get some minus four, 
did my research talking to guys like, like Hans Gatt, Thomas Fess, um, all the guys that used to race it there. So uh, I took their information and I planned that I would run south. So when I hit those mountains, Rosebud, you just kept on summiting. And what I mean is, like, you think you're hitting the summit, they're going up so high, and then you look and, oh, there's another summit. It plateaus and it keeps on climbing. So the climb psychologically really gets to you when you're not used to it. And you just kind of walk on, you know, you just get there. And then me and Michelle Phillips there, she had a busted up shoulder and me and her went over Eagle together right after Rosebud. And I helped her out with her team. And, uh, and then afterwards, I think the longest part of the trail for me was that 200 miler out of Dawson. 200 miles, over 200 miles, you've just done 550 miles, and you're carrying everything, like you're so overpacked, and you're crawling at four miles an hour, or I was, <laughs> and uh, that was when you're standing on top of rolling hills, and all you can see is rolling hills, to the horizon, it's like, okay, well, one little hill at a time, you know, so that's what stood out for me anyways, for that race. Nice, yeah, well, it's, um, and obviously, I've been to a few other races and and been to the Canadian Challenge uh, a few occasions. Uh, most recently, this past year, you competed in the Six Dog Race and won um, by a fair margin. So, um, can you tell us a little about the Canadian Challenge this year and and how it went for you? Yeah. Uh, so I decided uh, kind of the last second. Um, I used to run the Canadian Challenge, and I was building a team for it. Uh, the race evolved, changed a bit. So, um, when I focus on a race, I build my kennel for that race. I only run a few races. I'm, I'm not that much sure that, oh, I'm going to try this this year. I'm going to try that. No, I, I, I just focus on what I'm doing. It's just kind of my personality. So <laughs> I really enjoyed running the Canadian Challenge. Actually, uh, I ran all the races there. The eight dogs was my favorite, the 200 mile eight dogs. And, um, uh, Anyways, I went on to racing in Caledonia Classic in the mountains. There, it's a seven-dog hunter mile. It's probably one of the toughest races there's out there. Nobody really knows about it, but it's, uh, I compare, I call it the little quest. It's all climbing, seven dogs. You got to push hard. So anyways, uh, my dogs are getting a little bit older. We got hit with some wicked weather this year in the all night, and there was no let up, and I was training at 35 belows, and I didn't have, I have to have a certain miles. The way I train is I have to have a certain mile. I train every day. The dogs get one day off a week. That's a little secret there. And I train miles, like real miles. I don't do 10-mile runs. That doesn't exist after November. Like, they never see. The harness is on. The minimum they're doing is a 20-mile run, right? And uh, so, anyways, things fell apart for that race. And I said, well... Uh, it'd be nice to go back to the Canadian Challenge. It's a whole different crew running things there. Uh, there's yourself, Anna Povin, uh, and Jim Williams and Sarah were, were going there. And they're, they're old friends. And then the Taylors. And I said, you know what? Let's, let's go and have fun and visit old friends again. And I'm really glad I went. And we went. Um, I keep my team. My training is a bit fast. And I said, I never ran the six dogs. So... I'm just going to load six dogs. Well, I don't have that many dogs anyways. I only trained eight to seven. I said, let's go have some fun. And I went there and had a blast. It's actually sucked me back into the challenge. Now he comes back next year. I love that six dog format was fun. 
Yeah, so you you were in the Six Dog, which went from LaRange to Mississippi, so about 25 miles, you know, across Slack LaRange, and then the last 25 miles is, you know, Lake Portage, Lake Portage, until you get to Mississippi. So, you know, it's quite quite fast uh, in terms of what you did. So four hours and 12 minutes to do 50 miles, which is uh, the fastest time between those two by by a lot. Um, like even the fastest eight dog team was four hours and 33. So kind of crushed everybody that we had. Is there a particular portion of that trail that, that stood out for you? Or was there a dog in your team this year that, you know, exceeded expectations? Uh, yeah. Um, so uh, I'll talk about the dogs first and then just remind that I, I tend to go off topic a bit after the race part if I kind of <laughs> want to there. But um, uh, the dogs, that, that was one thing too. I'm running, I run old dogs. I don't like, I don't like pups. I don't like running young dogs. Uh, the way I built my kennel, I found, you know, sometimes a dog that somebody on a 12 dog piece of man, this dog just so slow, we can't pack it. But on my team, well, it's a different story. And then they actually, I can build their speed up on a six or an eight dog team. But you can't on a 12 because you're asking too much of the dog. And sometimes you got to build a certain amount of muscles on it. It's a whole, a whole strategy with a small kennel. You can work with them. It's just like having a kid. Maybe a kid's a little bit slow in school, but by the time he gets to grade 12, he might be the smartest kid in school, right? It's just the time you put into them. But anyways, I, I'm running uh, my leader there, Knuckles. He's nine years old, and uh, he's not slow, and I don't know that, that he's just a genetic freak. And, and everybody else on there is getting old, too, but they're doing really good um, uh, nutrition-wise, everything. And I said, you know what? Let's go have a fun race. And these dogs, I call it hunting. They love hunting. So as soon as I take off, I love taking off last. And they go from team to team. And a lot of leaders, you know, they'll pass a team and slow down. And they're just looking for the next one and the next one. And then when we got down the trail, and we took all the six dogs ahead of us. And then we started seeing the little black dots. Um, I left my GPS uh, the first time. I didn't follow my list and left it. I, so I try to clock my my running time at a certain speed and not exceed it. But we're going pretty good there. The trail really surprised me how good it was. Like it, it was really good. And then I started seeing these black dogs and it was the eight doggers. And then we just started taking one by one by one by one. And my dogs, they were actually going, they were, they came in faster than I left. So we were, were exceeding in speed. And then, uh, I actually had one dog, my youngest, dog and he's four he was in wheel and he couldn't keep up anymore and he was the young man on there if i would have went with five i could have broke the four hour mark i think I, I almost loaded him the speed was just too much for him and the trail was so amazing yeah we were, we were cruising and then the last thing we caught was i think mary england she was running the 300 miler and then i gave her my uh my polling stick there my ski pole so i didn't need it anymore she needed one so it was uh it was a great run great race it was a lot of fun yeah well you you did leave last um, we had the eight dogs leaving first they started at 10 three minute intervals and you were the last one to leave at ten twenty seven. so if your dogs are good at hunting as you say and trying to catch up then it certainly uh set yourself up quite well that way um to do that 
So I, my question was about the, the trail and just for people that don't understand, what, what makes it a good trail? And was there a portion of that trail that you liked? You know, was it the lakes or is it the portages or the combination of the two? What was good for you? Uh, well, basically, it's the exact kind of territory we train here at Yellowknife. And that's why I've always liked the Canadian uh, uh, sorry, the, the challenge because of it's similar weather. It's a bit warmer there, but it's uh, it's basically duplicating Yellowknife, just moving it south a little bit. So I'm used to the portages and lakes. That's what we train on. So um, the trail was just so good. The portages were cut out great. And... Uh, the portages actually gives the dogs a chance to relax a bit. You know, I usually slow them down. I'll crawl them through the portages. But I never knew the trail, so I didn't know how long the portages were. And then I kind of figured out they were just little sections linking the lakes. And, uh, yeah, the, it was just an amazing trail. I really liked it. And I really liked ending up at, uh, I would say it wrong, Mississippi. Mississippi. And uh, that was great. I really liked that. And, uh and the whole trail is just fantastic. A lot of the portages in that section are short, you know, um, you know, quarter of a mile, half a mile, just to jump across from one lake to the next. And it's always the last one before you get into Mississippi. I think it's about three miles of portage, and it's the, the last one, of course, everybody's trying to get to the end. And we kept hearing it's, you know, the portage that never ends. And then you come out onto the lake, and you can see the town and you come around the north side to the finish line. And so that that's, um, it, it's been a great experience for us in Mississippi in conjunction with Adventure Destinations. They've been a big part of the race. So really happy that that worked out for you. After you finished with the Canadian Challenge this year, you went back to Yellowknife uh, because you're one of the organizers and a competitor with the underdog race in Yellowknife. Can you tell people a little bit about your race up there and, and what it's like? Uh, yeah, uh, well, the race is almost 20 years old now, and uh, we had, you know, like any race, it had to grow, uh, work out the bugs and all that kind of stuff. Uh, it started off, we used to have it 200 miles, 10 dogs, and it was a Iditarod Yukon Quest qualifier, all that, and then we kind of cut it down to what people can do. Not everybody can take winters off, and we used to run it in November, so it was a 200-mile race in November, so that took... Uh, uh, a lot of people used it from the Yukon coming over, that kind of thing, so qualifiers, right? But uh, um, we said, you know what, Let, let's make it so it's more accessible to the, basically the working person, right? And our woman, you know, you're working, you're trying to, you know, why go into a race you can't compete anymore with? And, uh, uh, so we brought, we started bringing the number down. We had it down to eight, we had it down to seven. Uh, at one point, we brought it all the way down to five, and that was and it was a hundred straight, and that was actually a big hit. And then we changed it to the format we have now: uh, six dogs, hundred miles with the four-hour layover. And uh, yeah, it's a it's a big hit, big success. A lot of people are are liking it because if you own eight, even if you own ten dogs, you probably don't own ten rockets or ten great dogs, but you probably got six pretty good dogs, and can they keep them? be able to compete so people that aren't able to compete in other races it gives them just a little bit more of an edge and the people with the bigger uh we've had uh, of course yeah, when we changed the race we had a bit of complaints but then we have the alaskans came in four alaskan teams and they all have big channels and they loved it they loved the format 
kind of an old school race. Uh, it's flat. It's fast. I don't believe I used to be into that. Oh yeah, the tougher the better. Back in the Yukon Quest days, and I think that's all ego for people. Oh yeah, the race was tough and all that. Um, the dogs. I don't think there's one dog out there that loves to run in three feet of snow or whatnot. So we do everything we can to have a fast, hard trail. So it's enjoyable for the dogs, enjoyable for the people. And, uh, yeah, it's it's a really big success now. It's actually getting to the point it's almost too big for us to handle. There's too many people wanting to come. And because of its remoteness, we can only have a few teams. So yeah. it'll be nice promote the Canadian challenge. You know, there's the six dog race there for people with smaller kennels. Uh, Hudson Bay Quest will be a six dog also. There's uh, the one in BC. So, California Classic, there's the seven. That's more popular than the 250. They max out that race. So, I think the small kennels coming back, and it's nice to have races that we can have for that. Yeah, one, you had some some big names. Uh, you know, Jeff King was in attendance this this year with you guys. And and for anybody that wants to follow along with the underdog, you can find them, I believe, primarily on Facebook. And the format, uh, correct me if I get any of this wrong, Marcel, but I believe it's 25 miles and then there's a checkpoint and then a 50-mile loop back to that checkpoint, and then 25 miles back to the finish, and four hours of mandatory rest split up however you choose. Is that right? Yeah, uh, we're making it a bit interesting. Actually, uh, we were asked we were asked before to, because we used to run it, It was a hundred, the trail was 100. It varies between uh, how the ice sets up, because we get some big pressure ridges sometimes, and we got to go around them. Last year, not this year, the year before was 103 miles. And this year was uh, basically 100. It was like 98, 98.9 or something like that. So um, so what we do with the, with the race to make things a bit interesting, we were asked, can you please put like four hours so it can be more of a distance format race? And we said, okay. So we, we tried it with the four hours. And what we evolved the race into what we do is there's three ways you can do your four hours. The checkpoint's 25 miles out, and that becomes checkpoint two on your way back. So there's no checkpoint at the end at the 50 mile. So it's 50 miles of trail. You go 25 to another 25 back to the checkpoint. So you can either run it, uh, you can get to the checkpoint, take a four hour off, and run 75 home, which one of the Alaskans did. It was the first time that was done right off the bat, taking a four hours. And you can, the other way you can do your four hours is you can run 75, bypass the checkpoint, come back to the checkpoint. You can do four hours and then 25 home. Or the most popular one is two and two. So you get to the checkpoint, you take two hours, you run a 50-mile loop back to the checkpoint, two hours, and you go home. So it, it makes it a real chess game. And uh, I don't like talking for people, but one of the things that Jeff told me directly, Jeff King, was... It really liked how it was a chess game, and it reminded him of uh, basically the Iditarod near the end of the Iditarod. You have smaller teams. They're all in a checkpoint. Everybody's got their different strategies. So it's a lot of fun. Yeah, so anybody that wants to check out uh, the Underdog Race and Yellowknife, like I said, you can find them on Facebook. They they do a pretty good job. You know, I really liked the... um, 
musher interviews before the race. Uh, we kind of copied that at Canadian Challenge this year. So, you know, thank you for, um, you know, your team that looks after those. Um, speaking of social media, I do have a, a social media question from one of our fans. This one's from Marie Kung, and her question is, are there personality traits that you consider essential for a musher? That's a tough one. Uh, there's a lot of, there's <laughs> as many personalities for mushers as they are for dogs. So, yeah, um, she's, she's looking about some of the traits that somebody would have, you know, is it, you know, what, what would you find that's common in, in people that are, you know, that, that, that do well in, in mushing? Uh, to do well, um, there's all different levels, right? There's people that go in it just for fun and enjoy it. The dogs are the more competitive people. I think, uh, well, like a dog, you got to have a strong head and you got to be able to think outside the box. Financially, it's going to hurt. So you got to be able to be a person that can sit there and burn a bag of money and it's not going to bother you that much. <laughs> so, <laughs> your, your, your trait must be... Yeah, just a strong-headed, hard-driven person. I'd say dedication. Like if I have once in a while, I have people that will come and run with me or think that they want to run a dog team, and when we try them out, um, it comes out pretty fast. You got to have that drive. Like it's got to be your passion and everything for that. And anybody can do it. Like you can start any any ages of life, as long as you like dogs and you like traveling with dogs, but. Uh, it's the dedication. Sometimes you have to move from where you live or you have to truck dogs. You probably know that. Uh, have to work and force yourself to, those dogs need training. So if you have that personality, you have that drive to accomplish your goals, you can make a great pressure. Yeah, I think there's a certain level of hardiness that's required as well to deal with some of the conditions in some of the colder areas, you know, you talked about your time in Rankin Inlet and how cold it was and, you know, Fairbanks and how it was cold there. And we get some of that here with the challenge as well. So you have to be prepared to deal with whatever the weather might be. You know, you talk about training every day. I can't imagine a snowstorm or some wind or it being minus 35 can stop you, right? Oh, exactly. Actually, one of the best races I had was challenge of run the eight dog and uh um yeah we went and i i caught the last as usual left last out of eldridge all the 10 12 doggers i think it was 12 doggers at the time were ahead of us and uh by the time we hit we when it was 40 something below and nobody was moving and i took the lead with my dogs and off we went and i never saw nobody again including all the 12 doggers to Laurent because the cold was there and people didn't want to get out of their trucks or their shelters. And if you're doing it right, you keep the dogs at a slower speed, of course, because of the wind fracture, the cold, and you blanket them up and you keep them hydrated well, you just keep moving down that trail. So sometimes you can have a slower team and, and like, of course, all those 12 doggers, um, you know, technically were faster than me, but I was able to grab them all because they weren't moving. So if you have that hardiness and that, you know what you're doing and you can push yourself, you know, with cold hands, cold feet and all that. And you can just push on. It comes a mental thing and sometimes it gets you a win. Well, and if you do it during your training time, then you know that it's possible. You can do it. The dogs can do it. And you know how to properly care for yourself and the team. 
So that that's, I think, a big part of what people need to understand. I've always um, heard about, you know, things like Iditarod or Yukon Quest. You have to train for the conditions that you expect to be in. And if that happens to be minus 35 or whatever we happen to have here at the Canadian Challenge, seem to always get some colder weather every time the race comes along. So people need to prepare for a lot of that. Um, I know it takes a lot to run a kennel, even a, a smaller one like you have. Is there anybody that you'd like to thank, you know, that uh, that helps out either with the kennel or the race uh, up in Yellowknife to, to let you do this awesome sport? Yeah, I'm uh, pretty well self-sufficient there, but when uh, talk about when it gets cold and stuff, um, uh, my, my wife takes care of the dogs in the mornings. I work, I'm a trucker, I work really early mornings. So she takes care of the dogs in the morning. So thanks to her. And uh, also with the race, I mean, there's so many people to thank. But uh, yeah, I can't start naming them. But I will name one that you guys all know is Sarah. Sarah DeBoer, and they're from England. She takes care of her social media. She's the best at it. She's awesome. And she deals with with my misspelling, my, uh, <laughs> with everything I send her and she makes beautiful write-ups and, uh, actually everybody that comes to the race is looking for her. So we start calling her invisible Sarah because she's never been to this race to the underdog, but she's a great person. She takes care of, uh, your social media also, I believe. And, uh, so big shout out to her and to my wife, Rachel. Excellent. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time this morning to, to have a chat with us and, and tell everybody about your mushing and, and, and your race in Yellowknife and your time with the challenge. So, you know, any any last words out there before we sign off for today? Uh, all I'd like to say is, uh, you know, sometimes people think less of the six dog races and all that. We're turning things around now. Like it's like the underdog is so it's big and all that. So all of you guys around Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, you know, don't be scared, hook up some dogs and uh, go run that six dog or the eight dog at the challenge. It's a great race and I encourage everybody to go there and let's have a lot of teams next year. Excellent. Well, I appreciate it. And, uh, you know, for anybody looking for um, Marcel, I, I think most of your posts on your dogs and whatnot is on the underdog page. We'll include a link below so anybody can find that. And check them out as well as uh, all of our Canadian Challenge fun. So again, thank you again, Marcel. Appreciate the time today. And uh, to all of our fans and listeners, thank you for joining us. Uh, Until next time, thank you and goodbye. From First Paw Media, this is Canadian Challenge Tales. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And we invite you to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts you'll find a link on the episode notes. You can tap or swipe on the episode cover art and you'll see some offers from our sponsors. You can support our show by supporting them. If you like what you have heard, we would love it if you would give us a five-star rating and tell your friends how to subscribe too. Your host is Dan Kirkup. Our executive producer is Robert Forto, created for First Paw Media.